Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred Keith, Episode 22 Boom! The loud voice of the cannon rent the air with sudden shock, just as eager, waiting eyes caught the first glimpse of the sun's bright disk peeping above the eastern horizon. The sound broke suddenly in upon many a dream, woke many a sleeper. Independence Day, the glorious fourth, the nation's birthday, shouted Cyril, giving Don a kick, then springing out of bed and hurrying on his clothes. Oh, oh, fourth of July, echoed Don, following suit. I'm so glad, cause now we can fare our crackers. Their clatter and another shot roused Fan and Annis, who joined in the rejoicing, the latter calling loudly for Mother or Millie to come and dress her. No more hope of sleep, yawned Mr. Keith in the next room, so we may as well get up. Yes, returned his wife, I wish you would, and watch over the children, see that they don't burn their fingers or set things on fire. Yes, Annis, Mother's coming. Breakfast was prepared amid the almost constant faring of crackers and childish shouts of exaltation near at hand and the occasional booming of the more distant cannon. The young folks were full of gaiety and excitement, hurraying, singing, Hail Columbia, Yankee Doodle, and Star Spangled Banner. Rupert came in a little late to breakfast from a stroll downtown, and reported that a wonderfully large flagstaff had been planted in front of the courthouse, and that the stars and stripes were floating from its top. The Sunday schools were to unite and march in procession through the streets of the town, then separate and each school betake itself to its own church, there to enjoy a little feast prepared by the parents and friends of the scholars. There had been a good deal of baking going on in Mrs. Keith's kitchen the day before, and shortly after breakfast, a large basket was packed with delicacies and sent to the church. Then Mother and Mildred had their hands full for an hour or so in dressing the children and themselves for the grand occasion. They made a goodly show as they issued from the gate and took their way toward the place of Redden's Zouvet. The girls all in white muslin and blue ribbons, the boys in their neck neat Sunday suits, and each with a flower or tiny nosegay in his buttonhole. The house had to be shut up, as Celestian claimed the holiday, but was left in its usual neat and orderly condition, by means of early rising and extra exhortation on the part of three older girls. Otherwise Mildred could not have been content to go, and delay was dangerous, as on account of the heat of the weather the procession was to move by nine o'clock. The whole town was in holiday attire, and everywhere smelling faces were seen. A shower in the night had laid the dust without turning it to mud, and the Sunday school celebration proved quite a success. The children enjoyed their treat of cakes, candies, and lemonade. Then the little Keiths went home, tired enough to be glad to sit down and rest while Father, Mother, and Millie told them stories of other force that they could remember. After dinner, Mildred went to call on her friend Claudina, carrying with her another book for Effie Prescott. Dunalon had been returned in perfect condition and with a little note of thanks. Effie met Mildred with a pleased look, a cheerful greeting, and warm thanks for the book. 
I am so glad to see you, she said, and it was very kind in you to come, for I am owing you a call. I thought I should have paid it long ago, but there are so many days when I don't feel quite equal to the walk. You do walk out then? Oh yes, every day when the weather is good. That is part of the cure, but I cannot walk fast or far. I hope you are improving. Yes, I believe so, but very slowly. I am never confined to bed, but never able to do much, and the books are such a blessing. From that they fell into talk about books and authors, and were mutually pleased to find their tastes were similar as regarded literature, and that their religious views accorded. It was the beginning of a friendship which became a source of great enjoyment to both. Effie had learned to love Mrs. Keith, that drew Mildred toward her, and their common faith in Christ and love to him was yet a stronger bond of union. They regretted that they had been so long comparative strangers, and Mildred felt well rewarded for the kind thoughtfulness on her part which had at length brought them together. But leaving Effie to the perusal of the book, she walked on to Square Chetwood's. Mrs. Chetwood and Claudina, in their deep morning dress, sat quietly at home, with no heart to join in the mirth and jollity going on about them, yet calm and resigned. Ah, sighed the mother, tears springing to her eyes as the joyous shouts of children penetrated to their sitting room. Our little darling would have been so happy today. But why do I say that? I know she is far, far happier in that blessed land than she could ever possibly have been here. I know that, said Claudina, weeping, and I do rejoice in the thought of her blessedness. But, oh, the house is so dreary and desolate without her. Oh, Mildred, how rich you are with four sisters there was a knock at the street door answered by the girl and the next moment miss drybread walked into the parlor where the ladies were sitting she was courteously received and invited to take a seat which she did drawing a deep sigh are you well miss damaris asked mrs chetwood yes i'm always well i try and do right and have no sick fancies i'm never troubled with the vapors i hope you're well as usual thank you You've had a great affliction, no response, for the torn hearts could scarce endure the rude touch. Her tone was so cold and hard. I hope you're resigned, she went on. You know we ought to be, especially considering that we deserve all our troubles and trials. I trust we are, said Mrs. Chetwood. We can rejoice in her happiness while we weep for ourselves. Don't you think you made an idol of that child? I think you did, and that, that is the reason why she was taken, for God won't allow idols. We loved her very dearly, sobbed the bereaved mother, but I do not think we made an idol of her or ever indulged her to her hurt. The heart is deceitful, observed the school ma'am with emphasis, and putting on mourning and shedding so many tears doesn't look like submission or resignation. I don't see how a Christian can act so. Wait till you are bereaved, replied the mother, sobs almost choking her utterance. And remember how Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus and that he never reproved the Jews for putting on sackcloth and ashes when mourning for their dead, said Mildred, adding in her uncontrollable indignation, I think you might be at better work, Miss Drabbread, than wrenching the hearts of these bereaved ones whom Jesus loves and in all whose afflictions he is afflicted. I'm only doing my duty, retorted the spinster. The Bible says we must reprove our brethren and not suffer sin upon them. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. They are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and if you turn to the passage and read on a little farther, you will see that people who try to pull the moat out of a brother's eye while there is a beam in their own, he calls hypocrites. I can understand an instant 
Sinuation as well as the next one, said Miss Drybread, rising in wrath, and let me tell you, miss, that I consider you the most impertinent young person I ever met. Good afternoon, Mrs. and Miss Chetwood. I wish you joy of your friend. And she swept from the room and the house before the astonished ladies could utter a word. What is it, disagreeable, self-righteous old hypocrite, cried Mildred, her cheeks flushed, her eyes flashing, to think of her talking to you in that cold-hearted, cruel manner, Mrs. Chetwood and Claudina, but there, I am judging her, oh dear, oh dear. She finished with a burst of sobs, clasping her arms about her friend who was weeping bitterly. Mrs. Chetwood, too, was shedding tears, but presently wiped them away, saying, We will try to forgive and forget her harsh words. I trust she is a well-meaning and perhaps truly good woman, though mistaken as to her duty and sadly wanting intact. On her way home, Mildred passed Mr. Lightcaps. She usually avoided doing so by taking the other street, but today was too full of grief for her bereaved friends to care which way her steps were tending till they were arrested by Mrs. Lightcap's voice speaking from her open door. Why, if it ain't Miss Keith, I hain't seen a sight of you this long time. Walk in, won't you, and sit a bit. They've all run off somewhere, isn't that me sitting here without a soul to speak to, and I'm dreadful lonesome. Mildred could not well refuse the invitation, so stepped in and took his seat. Her first feeling on becoming aware that Mrs. Lightcap was addressing her was one of embarrassment at the idea of her rejected suitor, but the next instant she concluded from the cordial manner of her neighbor that she must be entirely ignorant of the affair, which was really the case. Go to bed, having insisted upon Rhoda Jane keeping his secret. Mildred was not in a talking mood, but Mrs. Lightcap grew garrulous over the day's celebration. The heat of the weather Prophet saying that if it lasted long, coming as it did after a very rainy spring, there would be a great deal of sickness, branching off finally to her housework and garden, to in inexhaustible themes with her. An occasional yes or no or nod of acquiescence was all that was necessary on the part of her listener, and these Mildred could supply without giving her undivided attention to the steady flow of empty talk. The firing of the cannon at short intervals had been kept up all day. Boom! It came now, causing Mrs. Lightcap to give a sudden start and break off in the middle of a sentence. Well, I declare, she exclaimed, I can't get used to that there fair, and, and I just wish they'd stop it, for some on him gets hurt. It's a dreadful dangerous thing, gunpowder is, and I guess there ain't never a fourth when there don't somebody get about half killed. Or quite, said Mildred, people will be so careless, and I suppose that even with the greatest care, there must be some danger from the bursting of guns and other accidents that is, perhaps impossible to guard against. Mildred sat very near the open door, Mrs. Lightcap farther in with it in the room. Well, as I was a saying, began the later, resuming the thread of her discourse, someone came running without his heavy footsteps resounding upon the sidewalk. It was a man. He paused before the door, looking pale and frightened, and beckoning to Mildred, said in a low, hurried tone, Just step this way a minute, miss. I want to speak to you. Hardly comprehending too much, taken by surprise even to wonder what he could want, she hastily complied. She ought to be prepared, you know, he went on in the same breathless, agitated manner, drawing her further away from the door as he spoke. He's awfully hurt, almost killed, I believe, and they're bringing him up the street now. Who? gasped Mildred. Her son, Gote. Gun went off while he was running in the wading and shot the ramrod right through his hands. I guess they'll both have to come off. Mildred staggered back, sick and faint, and with a dazed sort of feeling that she was somehow to blame. 
They're coming, repeated the man, hurriedly pointing to a little crowd of men and boys moving slowly up the street, scarcely a square away. Can't you say something to her? Kind of break the shock a little, you know? Mrs. Lightcap had settled, stepped into the door while I was looking this way and that, curious to learn the cause of Mildred's sudden exit. Why, Jim Foute, is that you? she exclaimed. What on earth are you a wanting with Miss Keith? Then catching sight of the approaching crowd. What's going on? she asked. Anything the matter? Mildred sprang to her side and fairly pushed her back into the house, threw her arms about her, sobbing, Oh, I'm so sorry for you. So sorry. Don't look. Not yet. He's he's living, but who? Who's a living and who's hurt? Girl, tell me quick. Tain't none of mine sure. Tain't my old man. Oh, what'll I do? What'll I do? The tramping of many feet drew near. Her husband rushed in, pale, breathless, trembling at sight of her, burst out crying like a child. Then the wounded man man was supported into the house, men and boys, and even women and girls, crowding in after till any moment the room was full. Rhoda Jane and the younger brothers and sisters were there, screaming and crying. Go to bed was silent, bearing his agony with the heroism of a soldier. But as his mother caught sight of his ghastly face, his mangled hands, the blood upon his person, and the surgeon with his instrument, she uttered a wild shriek and fell back fainting. Her husband carried her into the kitchen, and some of the neighbor women gathered round with restoratives and whispered words of pity and condolence, while others hurried back and forth in quest of such articles as the surgeon called for. Rhoda Jane rushed out of the kitchen door and ran to the foot of the garden, screaming and wringing her hands, the younger ones following her. Mildred could not go away and leave the family in their dare distress. She caught Gotobed's eye, and there was in it a dumb entreaty which she had neither power nor heart to resist. Silently she made her way to his side. The doctors were clearing the room of all that were not needed. They are going to take off my right hand, he said hoarsely. It's an awful thing, but if, if you'll stand by me and let me look in your eyes, I can bear it. She turned hers on the surgeon, Lucilla Grange's father. May I? If you have the nerve, my dear child, it would be a great kindness to the poor fellow. There ought to be a woman near him, and it seems neither mother nor sister is equal to it. I will stay, she said, a great compassion filling her heart. I shall not look at what you're doing, but I will stand by and fan him. She kept her word, forgetting herself entirely, thinking of him only as one suffering terrible agony and in need of her support. She stood gazing into his eyes, her heart going up in silent, fervent prayer on his behalf. Chloroform and ether were not known in those days, and the knife's cruel work must be borne without the blessed insensibility to pain that they can give. Had the magnetism of Mildred's gaze a little effect? I know not, but something enabled go to bed to pass through the terrible ordeal without a groan or moan, almost without flinching. The right hand had to be taken off at the wrist, the left, though much mangled, the surgeon hoped to save and did so ultimately. The amputation and the dressing of the wounds was over at last, and Mildred was turning away when a cup of tea was put into her hand, and the words spoken in a half whisper, Give him this, he will take it from you. She held it to his lips, and he drank. A plate was silently substituted for the cup, and she fed him like a child. Poor fellow! It would be long before he could feed himself again. Mildred set down the plate and stole quickly from the house. Her long, pent-up emotion must find vent. She went weeping home, her heart breaking with pity for the man she could not love, could not have married for the wealth of the world. Oh, why did he love her so? She had read it in his eyes, that she was more to him than all the world beside, and that he knew his was a hopeless passion. 
She was glad to see that the sun was setting, because she knew from the lightness of the hour that tea must be over at home, and the little ones in bed, for she dreaded their questionings and curious looks, and loathed the thought of food. Her mother, that best earthly friend, who always understood her as by intuition, met her at the door, and clasped her in a tender, loving embrace, and on that dear bosom the whole sad story was sobbed out. "'Poor, poor fellow, my heart aches for him,' Mrs. Keith said, mingling her tears with Mildred's. "'And, my dear child, I am very glad you had the courage and firmness to give him the help you did. "'I pity him, too, for his unfortunate attachment at the same time that I, of course, "'could never had never be willing to see it return. "'But your courage surprises me. I doubt if I should be capable of the light myself,' she added, smiling through her tears. "'I know you would, mother dear,' returned the girl, gazing with loving admiration into her mother's eyes for you are far braver and firmer than I. I should not have expected to be able to do it myself, but we never know what we can do till we are tried. I am sure our Father helped me in answer to prayer, and according to his gracious promise, as thy days, so shall thy strength be, she added in subdued, tremulous tones. I do not doubt it, said Mrs. Keith, for our sufficiency is of God. Throughout the whole town great sympathy was felt for the wounded young man. People showed it in various ways, by inquiries made of the doctor at the door, by calling in for a little friendly chat and sending delicacies to tempt his appetite, which for a time failed under the pressure of pain and forced idleness, a great change for one who had been all his life a hard worker, and depression of spirits, for there were seasons when he was well nigh overwhelmed at the thought of his maimed and helpless condition. Mrs. Keith went frequently to see and comfort him and his distressed mother, and was more successful in so doing than almost anyone else, except Mildred, who occasionally accompanied her. They carried to go to bed food for the mind as well as the body, books which they read to him as he could not hold them himself, and the other members of the family had little time or ability to entertain him in that way. Also they said many a kind, encouraging word concerning the possibilities of future usefulness yet remaining to him. I shall never be good for nothing no more, he sighed mournfully one day, looking down at his maimed arm and wounded hand. Can never swing my hammer or shoe a horse again. I'll have to be a helpless burden on other folks instead of taking care of old father and mother when they get old, as I used to think I should. I don't know that, go to bed, Mrs. Keith answered cheerily. I think God has given you a good mind, and that you will gradually learn to do a great deal with that left hand, right, hold a book, and turn the leaves, and so be able to educate yourself for usefulness in some new line. Perhaps do more for your parents and friends than you ever ha could have done with your hammer. A light broke over his face. At her words, oh, he said, drawing a long breath, if I thought that I could bear it. I think you are bearing it bravely, she said. I'm trying my best, he sighed, but the Lord only knows how hard it is, especially when folks come and tells you it's a judgment sent unto you for your sins. And who dares to tell you that, she cried, flushing with indignation. Who could be so heartlessly cruel? Well, Damaris was in t'other day. She means well enough, I guess. She fetched something she'd cooked up for me, but she don't seem to understand a fellow critter's feelings. She give me a long lecture, said I'd been dreadful proud of my strength and what a neat job I could do, make a shoe and a horse and the like, and so that the Lord took away my hand to punish me, fetch me down. Do you think twas that way, Miss Keith? I was thinking twas my own carelessness, not to be blamed on him at all. 
"'It strikes me that you are very nearly right there,' she replied, half smiling at the earnest simplicity with which he spoke. "'He is very merciful and gracious, full of tender pity and compassion for the creatures he has made, especially those who are particularly his own, because they have accepted of the salvation offered through Christ Jesus. "'Do you think, Miss Keith, he feels kind of sorry for me, even though it was my own fault?' I'm sure of it, and that he will give you strength to bear your trouble if you ask him to bear it bravely and not let it spoil your life by robbing you of cheerfulness and hope and the usefulness you may attain to be a determined, manly struggle with your difficulties. There's a pleasure in overcoming difficulties, she added with a bright, winning smile that was like a ray of sunlight to his saddened heart, a pleasure that the slothful know nothing of. I'll try it, he said with determination. God helping me, I will. Bless you, Miss Keith, for them words. I'll never forget him. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.